1208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. When you have roving gangs of thugs that drive through Milwaukee looking to find somebody who leaves their unattended car running and steals it and it's gone in 30 seconds, those people are terrorizing the, the community. When you have the same or similar roving bands of thugs who are, again, looking for people to carjack or single unattached women walking out to their cars in parking lots and people coming up and taking their purses and stealing their car, those people who are, are doing it are, are terrorizing their victims. They are terrorizing the community. But as a general rule, we don't refer to them as terrorists even though the activity that they are engaging in, the criminal behavior, creates terror. It creates fear among the general public. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, at the start of the show yesterday, part of our three big things, I I applauded law enforcement for its response in catching the Austin bomber, this Mark Anthony Condit. I think it was a classic example of the good things that law enforcement can, in fact, do. This extensive investigation that resulted, it started off by them saying, okay, let, let's try to find, are there common elements in some of these these bombs that we found? All right, yes, we found some common elements. All right, let's try to figure out, they all had the same type of battery. Where did this come from? And then they start to backtrack, and they find this, and, and ultimately it led to, the identification of this psychopath, and ultimately they they converge on him and he kills himself with one of his bombs. So it is a tribute to law enforcement, but there's no question that Mark Anthony Condit, the Austin bomber, terrorized the community over the course of the last several weeks. I mean, if you lived in Austin, you were terrorized, you were scared. As a general rule, though, the news media did not refer to him as a terrorist. You know, rather, he was described as a bomber. He might have been described as a psychopath, certainly as a criminal. But the word terrorist didn't come into play. All right, well, I really didn't think anything of this. So I'm sitting in a meeting this morning, and our our social media guy says, are are you aware of the the Twitter feed? There's like 6,000 tweets. And I I, I understand paying attention to a lot of the stuff that's out on the Internet just makes you dumber. It, it just does. You you can you know get immersed in the stuff and feel your IQ dropping. But I said, w- what is the controversy here? And well, the argument is that people are very very angry at the news media, as a general term, for not calling this guy a terrorist because. And I said, well, why? Well, because they think it's racist. If this was a Muslim, he would be a terrorist. If this was a person of a black person, he would be a terrorist. If he was a Hispanic person, he would be a terrorist. But because he was a 24-year-old white kid, he's not referred to as a terrorist. And I said, huh. Well, there's a big story about this in today's Washington Post. And again, it talks about a number of people who are very, very upset that um, public officials in their comments are not referring to this kid as a terrorist, but rather as a bomber, a criminal, all sorts of other firms. Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I guess he's dead. But the idea is, and the allegation is, that this is a racist way of looking at the world because he was white, and if he was, again, a person of color or a Muslim, this would be a different story. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I think, and I'm willing to debate this, but I think this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, again, when, when we talk about criminals terrorizing the city of Milwaukee with carjackings or shootings or whatever, I, we don't refer to them as terrorists, whether they're white or black or Hispanic. We refer to them as criminals or thugs or whatever. To me, terrorism is more than just the criminal act that inspires fear, because almost any criminal act is, in fact, going to inspire fear. Rather, to me, to be a terrorist, there has to be something more. Now, before people get too worked up over this, um, you know, the, the definition, at least if you look at under both the Patriot Act and if you look at, like, the FBI's talking points, um, the, the definition of terrorism says that it's got to be more than just a criminal act. Patriot Act says domestic terrorism are activities within the U.S. that involve acts dangerous to human life intended to coerce or intimidate a civilian population to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion and to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping. Okay, so 9-11, was that an act of terrorism? Yes, because it was something done to try to promote um, again, a point of view. This guy, I just think, was a psychopath. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. By not referring, as a general rule, to this psychopath as a terrorist, is that inherently racist? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think that that's ridiculous. Like I say, any criminal act that involves Scaring people, instilling fear, is, I guess, technically an act of terrorism. But to me, to call somebody a terrorist, that implies not just the criminal act, but also that you are trying to advance some political point of view, some ideology. Um, a white supremacist could be a terrorist doing these acts. But simply somebody randomly committing crimes, that to me isn't terrorism per se. And to try to view it through a racial prism I think is very disappointing. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The FBI defines domestic terrorism as acts perpetrated by individuals or groups inspired by or associated with primarily U.S.-based movements that espouse extremist ideologies of a political, religious, social, racial, or environmental nature. Um, they give an example of a shooting in Las Vegas in June of 2014 where two police officers were killed inside a restaurant in an ambush-style attack committed by a married couple who held anti-government rules uh, views. All right, in contrast, the Las Vegas shooting where the guy was up in the Mandalay Bay Hotel, that would not be considered an act of domestic terrorism, not because the guy was white, but rather because there wasn't a, an underlying political view that he was trying to espouse. He was just a psychopath. And yet the controversy, and it does, it makes your head explode because you know people were dead, people were injured. The controversy is, oh, this shows how racist it is. This is white privilege because it was a 24-year-old white kid that was the bomber in Austin, Texas, and we're not calling him a terrorist or a domestic terrorist. 414-799-1620, Jack in Milwaukee. Jack, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Sure. Yeah, it, does, it definitely doesn't fit the, uh, the definition 
Um, yes, she is a white male who committed horrendous crimes, but um, the fact of the matter is, is that he, until until we find some sort of dissertation, him outlying what, what right. his actual agenda was, then then it doesn't then it doesn't. Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh would be, in my opinion, a domestic terrorist. That's you know he's trying to advance some weird anti-government political agenda in his crimes. This guy was just a psychopath. Ted Kaczynski, the IRA, right. uh, all the Muslim-related terrorist groups, when it's, it's religious or political agendas, and this one doesn't fit at the moment. I mean, it could eventually, you know, if you, if you find some, like, right. weird uh, website that he was holy, hosting or whatever, then, then, maybe, then maybe it can be well, that profile, but at the moment it doesn't. Well, well right, exactly. I mean, thanks for, I mean, look at, look at serial killers. I mean, let, let's take that I- example. Okay, let, let's... Let's go to Jeffrey Dahmer. Was Jeffrey Dahmer a terrorist? No. Well, no. Did, did his acts terrorize and scare people? Absolutely. Was he a domestic terrorist in the sense that that term is used? No. All right. Here's one of our texts. Well, we're going to start off a great day today. Are you kidding me, Jeff? You're dumb and racist. If you think that guy's not a terrorist, then what does a white person have to do to be a terrorist? Now, all right. He is a criminal. He is a psychopath. But here's the idea. A white person... Again, if you're, let's say you're a white supremacist and you're setting off bombs with the intention of trying to kill black people and disrupt, okay, you would be a domestic terrorist. Let's say you're trying to advance the goals, using violence to advance the goals of some, uh, again, okay, weird conspiracy group that you have. Yeah, you'd be a domestic terrorist, but the average criminal is it doesn't fit into this definition and the fact that people are trying to racialize this i think says more about the people who are trying to racialize it than it does about the people who are saying well, well no let's be careful terms do in fact matter bob in green bay bob you're on wtmj hi uh one of the disadvantages i think of talking second is a lot of the speaking points can take and yeah. uh, my first thought was we called ted Kaczynski the unabomber we didn't call him a terrorist yet. Same time for the previous caller's statement of the manifesto, Kaczynski did have a manifesto written out, a rather lengthy one. Mm-hmm. But we still referred to him as a bomber. Uh, for me, the, the question comes down to terrorism comes out of a political base aimed at a system that is broadly political in nature. In other words, the people of the United States represent the government of the United States to somebody who's trying to affect the government of the United States. Right. So exactly. So 9-11 attackers were terrorists. They were trying to yeah, advance exactly. an ideology. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's, that would be my point as well, that as heinous, heinous rather, as these crimes are, and as many people as are affected, the definitions do make a difference in the long run, because ultimately we start to view a whole population of individuals by the definition. Um, yeah, no, I, I follow you. I mean, I, I again, I, I follow you. And that's why, I mean, for example, every Muslim in the United States that commits a crime is not a terrorist. All right. If you have somebody, Muslim or not, um, who decides that they are going to. OK, let, let's take an example of somebody who does subscribe to what we describe as is radical Islam. And, you know, they commit crimes in pursuit of this radical Islam, yeah, that that would make them, I, I think, a terrorist, as that term is defined, because, again, you're trying to, you know, in, 
in influence a policy or affect the cover the conduct of a, of a government. You know, just because you are a horrible criminal doesn't make you a terrorist. And I understand some people love to throw around the racism term, and, and that's what they look for. They wake up every morning with that chip on their shoulder. Again, I refer to them as the perpetually offended and the politically correct, you know, trying to say, oh, my gosh, let, let's let's figure out a way to get upset about that. Oh, did you see it? The cops, you know, who should be applauded for catching this bomber, the cops, oh, they, they referred to him a, as a bomber or a psychopath. They didn't refer to him as a terrorist. Well, and, and if he had been African-American, he would have been a terrorist. Well, well, no, and a number of people are making this point. Um, you know, when you have, for example, shooters who you know turn out to be again black, um, there we don't refer to them as terrorists unless the crime was committed with the point of trying to advance some ideology. They say we got thousands and thousands of tweets about this, and there's people that are just feeling strong. I I can't believe this just shows white privilege and how racist America is that they didn't call him a bomber. I'm just glad that they didn't call him a terrorist. I'm glad they caught him, period. When we come back, big story number two, just in time for WrestleMania, whatever, Donald Trump and Joe Biden get ready to throw down, and David Clark Ways in. Stick around. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Insight 2018. It is next Wednesday. That means it's less than a week away. Um, ticket sales are robust, but we want to make sure everybody who wants to come uh, gets a chance to do that. It is a rare chance to get a behind-the-scenes look at the radio show, how it's all put together, and be in the room to hear from Governor Scott Walker about his bid for re-election. The thing I think that's coolest about Insight is it's it's an intimate setting. You're going to see a number of people that you've, you know, newsmakers that you've heard on the radio before, seen on TV. Typically, if you see them in person, it's in large group settings. It's a very intimate setting, and it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite events of the year. You can reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com. Do it right now. Uh, tickets are on sale. They're 25 bucks a piece. The doors open at 530. The show taping starts around 630, and we should be done by 830 or 9 o'clock. So um, it's not like you're making a commitment to be there till 11 or 12. No, I understand it's a school night. A uh, matter of fact, Opening day, the Brewers open in San Diego. That is the following day. So lots of big stuff going on here. All right. Big story number two. Can't we just all grow up? Now, Joe, Joe Biden, the vice president, former vice president of the United States, he's 75 going on 76. President Trump is 71 going on 72. So we are talking about septuagenarians. Joe Biden, who is known for saying outlandish things, he's giving a speech earlier this week at the University of Miami. And they start talking about, again, President Trump. And and Joe Biden, by the way, um, even though I think he'd be 78 or 79 if he were elected, he hasn't ruled out running for president. He may be the leading Democratic candidate for a president in 2020. So he he's giving the speech, and they start, again, they get to the subject of, of President Trump, and they're talking about the Access Hollywood tape where he said all the different, or Trump said all the different things he said about women, at which point in time Biden says, they asked me if I'd like to debate this gentleman, and I said no. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and I'd beat the hell out of him. Okay, so this is the former vice president of the United States. I'd take him behind the gym and I'd beat the hell out of him. All right, 
Those are both, I guess, literally and figuratively fighting words for President Trump as he takes to Twitter to respond. Um, here's what he says. He says, crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically, and yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe! Exclamation point. So this is the former vice president of the United States, and this is the current president of the United States. Both people who are in their 70s, talking about how I'd take him out behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. And don't threaten people because I'd knock your block off. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I will just, and maybe this is going to just upset everybody on this particular thing, but you know what? My comment to, to both Biden and Trump is, can't we just grow up? I, I mean, seriously. I don't think this reflects well on Joe Biden. I don't think it reflects well on Donald Trump. And, and maybe there's some people like to hear it. But I think stuff like this makes us, make us being the U.S., collectively look like laughing stocks when you've got the former vice president and the current president talking about throwing down outside the locker room. And don't even at well, I'll even and then David Clark of all people weighs in on this. I will share a portion of that with you as well. But four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. I think this is just conduct unworthy of both of these guys. Am I but do you love it? Are you glad Trump responded? Are you glad Biden said this? Or is it just time for people to just grow up? 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, into this mix, David Clark sends out a tweet. I'm not even sure I can read the tweet, uh, but it's the back and forth between President Trump and former Vice President Biden. And some in his remarks, Vice President Biden referred to him being around locker rooms. And former Sheriff Clark's tweet picks up on the theme of locker rooms and what were you doing hanging around locker rooms, Joe? I just... It, it did not necessarily raise the discord, the discourse. But, but I mean, seriously, do you reach a point where you say enough is enough? We are talking about the leader of the free world and the former vice president of the United States, who presumably wants to be a leader of the free world, uh, perhaps. Mary in Menominee Falls. Mary, you're on WTMJ. I think if we stop giving these people publicity, newspaper, radio, TV, and just stop talking about it, maybe they'd grow up and stop doing such foolish things. Well, Mary, see, let me let me take issue with that there. I mean, I, I understand that you can say, OK, they're giving them attention. But when when the former vice president of the United States says he wants to take the president out and behind the gym and beat the hell out of him and the president responds by saying, oh, he'd go down hard. I, I mean, there. This is the vice president, and the president. I mean, isn't that news <laughs> that they're saying these stupid things? I don't think it should be news. I think they should just both grow up and do their jobs and stop this foolishness. Well, I, uh, thanks. See, I, I see that that is my point. I, I mean, I, I, again, that is my point. I don't. And, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who for the last 20 plus years behind a microphone ha- has criticized the news media for its obsession with certain things. In this particular case, 
when, again, you have the former vice president of the United States who says he wants to beat the hell out, who's 75 years old, who wants to beat the hell out of the president, and the president responds by saying, don't be a tough guy, you know, you're weak, um, you know, I could beat him up. I mean, it, it's like a bunch of playground kids talking to each other. And I do agree with you the, about the basic premise of just kind of knock it off. We are laughing stocks. I mean, that's just the bottom line. This type of, these exchanges make us laughing stocks in the eyes of the world. Oh, you have these two, you know, prominent political figures who are, uh, again, this is the nature of the conversation. Let's talk to Deb in West Bend. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Deb. I, I give, you know, Joe Biden, I think he felt like many, many hundreds of people in the United States. And he can, he's criticized because of what he says of Trump. Look what Trump has said to everybody else criticizing them and doing something. It doesn't make him less of a man or less of a person. And I know what you're saying, but Trump has embarrassed this country more than any other president that's gone about him. So I don't think Biden is so crazy. This would be, he's just saying it like it is. It's coming from the heart. Well, I mean, I, I, like I to do this. but but I, I mean, thank, thanks for calling. Look, I, I understand that politics isn't beanbag, but you're you're, t- you're talking about guys who are in their seventies, for God's sake, you know, who have occupied very very high positions in government, or who aspire. I mean, Biden wants to be the next president of the United States. Who who are talking about stuff that you would expect to hear from fourteen year olds who you know get into some sort of argument over God knows what you know as a freshman in high school. I mean, that's, that's, I, I guess, the point that strikes me about this whole thing. And again, I, I think I'm trying to picture world leaders, you know, looking at, at, you know, looking at the United States and saying, hey, how can we take any of these people seriously when they are behaving like clowns? And, and yes, I, and this is, this is a, a non-political sort of comment because I apply it to the president and I apply it to, you know, the former vice president. Uh, yeah, WrestleMania is coming up April 8th in New Orleans, right? Maybe, maybe this should be the cage match there and have David Clark come out and be the referee. Uh, let's go some more text. Sounds like they should go into the WWE. Yeah. Um, let's see. Doesn't surprise me coming from these people. Biden does have the excuse of being caught up in the moment, but they should all know better. Well, I, I, yeah, um, let's see. Here's one of Mike and Fonda likes this. Jeff, I can take both of those guys with one arm behind my back. Um, yeah, you know, maybe. I guess I'm just, regardless of how you feel, maybe you think Joe Biden is the greatest thing since canned beer, and maybe you think President Trump, or maybe you think President Trump is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, really, in your heart of hearts, people in their 70s having conversations like this, doesn't it, isn't it just flat out cringeworthy? Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, good morning. I My question or comment is uh, a couple different ways. How much are they each getting paid for how long <laughs> to act like children? Uh, if I acted that way, we'd, we'd bench them and uh, dock their, their allowance. Oh, oh, yeah. Can you imagine in a workplace or something like that where you you know people are putting out... I, I don't like that guy that works in the other department. I, I He's a whiner. I, if I was in high school, I'd take him out and beat the hell out of him. And then, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're weak. I'd push you down. I'd knock you out. I mean, it's, you, you'd, you'd both be fired. <laughs> you'd both be fired. You know, Jeff, it's also interesting and sad state of our affairs. 
both political parties, all the way up and down, are acting that way oh, yeah. in various forms. Oh, oh right. It's at the federal, state, local government. Right. It's just, I mean, thanks. I mean, look, I, I understand that you're always going to have an exchange of ideas and there's always going to be a degree of, of name calling and things like that. I guess this wasn't about issues. This was just, and clearly these guys don't like each other. So, I mean, I, I understand all that, but he's the former vice president who wants to be president. President Trump is the president. You know, really, you're going to talk about, you know, Who's you know what is bigger and the, the, you know that that's that's this whole thing figuratively speaking you know who's more of a man and who could knock somebody else down and all that kind of stuff it's like really just just kind of grow up and, and and let's figure out about how we we deal with the issues that we really have in this country like all right like taxation and immigration and you know dealing with crime and all the different other things healthcare that's what I want people to deal with for goodness sakes not who could knock out who behind the high school gymnasium since it's been, what, 60 years since both of them have been in high school, or 55 years. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, let's see. I'll tell you, let's do it now. Insight 2018, less than a week away. Again, tickets, um, the sales have been robust. Chance to get a behind-the-look scene at our radio show, how it's all put together, and be in the room to hear from Governor Scott Walker about his bid for re-election. Reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com right now. I have a pair of tickets to Insight 2018 to give away. Let's give them to caller number 10 at 414-799-1620. Caller 10 gets a pair of tickets to join me next Wednesday night at the Country Springs Hotel. Doors open at 530. The taping starts at 630. I'm going to be a lot of fun. Country Springs Hotel in Waukesha. The number 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Insight 2018, sponsored by our friends at Annex Wealth Management. Actually, that that's an interesting launching point for uh, something. That's, this is breaking news, and it's going to actually dovetail into my next caller-driven segment about uh, the the Supreme Court race. Um, Eric Holder, who is, in my opinion, the worst unindicted Attorney General in the history of the United States, he was Barack Obama's guy. Um, Holder leads this group that is designed, the purpose is to try to figure out how to elect more Democrats to Congress. He parachuted in to Wisconsin last week to campaign for uber-lefty Supreme Court candidate Rebecca Dallet. But he's also heading this group that filed a lawsuit to try to force Governor Walker to call special elections in a Senate district and a um, state assembly district. Now, here's the problem. We're, we're already, what's today, March 22nd. The assembly and the Senate are going to be done meeting. I understand. It's tough to believe, but they're going to be done meeting um, by by this week. Now, there might be a special session or something, but but in general, they're not going to be meeting again until after the elections, until January of next year. So you've got two vacancies because a state senator um, retired and to take a position in the Walker administration and an assembly person took a position in the Walker administration. So these are vacant, but but there's not going to be any floor business going on. The governor and the attorney general's interpretation of the law is that we, we don't have the authority to call a special election this close to the regular election because those seats are going to be filled in November. Matter of fact, you know, the governor makes the point that 
the um, nomination papers for the fall elections come out on April 15th. You know, it's, it's the, the, so the whole idea is, you know, for, for somebody that's going to be running for that seat, you, you can start taking out papers and getting signatures starting on April 15th. So the governor's point is, it's both state law and I would argue it's just a matter of practice. It makes no sense to spend tens of thousands of dollars, maybe more, to try to fill a seat with, at best, a special election that might occur in June or July or something like that for somebody who's only going to be in office for a couple months uh, until at least till the, the November election rolls around. Plus, what's going to happen is, again, starting in three weeks, you're going to be having people, candidates for the regular fall election, who are already going to be taking out nominating papers. So you're going to be having two sets of nominating papers, two elections for the same seat within a couple months. It absolutely makes no sense. Well, here's what Eric Holder and the Democrats in Wisconsin are trying to do. They think, hey, we've seen the results of some other special elections, including the, the 10th state Senate district. We can win this seat. Let's have a special election. We'll win it. Now, we might lose it again in November, but we'll be able to win it, and that will, while it won't make any difference at all because the legislature isn't going to be meeting, we'll spend tens of thousands of taxpayer dollars trying to, again, fill that seat so we can get some political momentum. That, that's, that's what this is all about. It's not about representation at all. So they file this lawsuit that, in my opinion, is without merit. But, of course, as they always do, they don't file this lawsuit in the two districts where there are vacancies, they file the lawsuit in Madison, uh, where you have eight circuit court judges who are way, way, way to the left of the rest of the state, because I think you have a, a pretty good idea of knowing that um, you go to Madison and you get in front of a circuit court judge, the chances, whether you're trying to shut down Act 10 or kill voter ID or block things on the Republican agenda, chances are you get in front of a, Matt, a Dane County circuit judge and, you know, they're going to buy into this. And that is exactly what happened today. Interestingly enough, that they hadn't even properly served the governor with this lawsuit. So they have to, like, suspend the hearing, run down the street and serve the governor. In any event, again, one of the very liberal Dane County circuit judge, uh, Josanne Reynolds, ruled that Scott Walker has to order special elections, which would come up over the course of the next few months to fill a seat for maybe two or three months and would be going on while the campaign for the regular seat would be occurring. So anyhow, you got this liberal Dane County judge who made this ruling, and that's the story right now. Um, <clears throat> judge orders Governor Walker to hold special elections for open legislative seats in Eric Holder's suit. Um, yeah, that's what the order is. I wouldn't worry too much about this because my guess is there will be a prompt appeal of this. And as typically happens when you get these rulings out of the very liberal bench in Dane County, my guess is that this ruling is going to be overturned or put on hold um, until ultimately the state Supreme Court gets a chance to take a look at this. And my guess is the state Supreme Court is going to take a very different view of this than the uber-liberal judge on the Dane County Circuit Court, who, again, represents, I've said this before, the law is an art, it's not a science. And people who get elected to the bench bring their their biases, their worldview to, to that job. And so when they interpret the law, they interpret through the prism of their experience. In Dane County, 
which is far, far, far to the left of the majority of the state, it is not surprising that since Dane County voters choose Dane County judges, they choose judges who have views of the law, which are probably far to the left of the mainstream. So uh, this is where it stands right now. Don't be surprised if this particular ruling, just like many of the other rulings coming out of Dane County Circuit Court, don't go anywhere. But it underscores how important it is for there to be a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court. To that end, in about 12 days, there is an election. There is one of the two candidates who, instead of running for state Supreme Court, she should be running for governor. She was in California earlier this week talking about how Wisconsinites really have San Francisco values, but we have lost our way. We're going to analyze that in just a couple minutes. San Francisco values. Huh. What exactly does that mean? And maybe, maybe in the crazy world of Dane County or the streets of Madison, maybe they, maybe they desire to be like San Francisco. But do the rest of us stick around? We're going to have that conversation. It is 1255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Brewers Baseball. Season opens a week from today. All right, crew who's producing the show. All right, the Brewers, they obviously, they spent a lot of money. At the end of the last year, you could argue that outfield was their position of depth. They've got more outfielders than they know what to do with. Um, they didn't spend money on, on pitchers. And now you've got two that got hurt yesterday. All right, did they screw up by not getting more pitching? Yeah, you think so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's interesting because I mean, I, I I don't know how the, the this this Alex Cobb who went to the the uh, Orioles yesterday for like sixty million dollars that would have been a bad deal. He wasn't worth six for that would have been if you could get him for a year it might have been okay, but that would have been eh, sort of like I, I think they're after Jeff Supan and Matt Garza and Randy Wolf spending all this money on these over thirty pitchers who clearly are kind of on the backside of their career and break down and then you get stuck with them for the last couple of years. I think that they, I, I think they're understandably gun shy about this. And so the question is going to be, can they get through it? Yeah. In chase Anderson, we trust in chase. We try. Well, it's well, I mean, you're, and you know, Jimmy Nelson comes back, but that's a big if, I mean, that's a big if he hurt his shoulder bad and will he come back at some point in time? Probably. Is he going to be able to come back um, and be a, what he was last year by the middle of the summer? I don't know. Um, well, I guess time will tell, but that's what's so fun about the discussions. And then what do you do with Jesus Aguiar? Gru, you, you say you trade him if you can. Yeah, I, well, see, I, I think you keep him. And I, I, this idea that we're going to carry 13 pitchers, including two that are going to be, you know, sent down to the minors in a week or two anyways. I mean, you're going to give up a guy like Jesus Aguiar um, to keep some pitcher that you're going to be shuttling off to the minors. Nah, it's just too good. Can't do it. I don't think you can do it. I'm going to actually ask. I'll be, uh, as, again, as always, involved in our opening day broadcast. That's one of the things I want to ask David Stearns, you know, when we're talking in the dugout, you know, about why didn't you get that that fifth starting pitcher and um, – 
Hopefully they won't get rid of Aguiar. I just, that's, you're just laughing. No, no, that's what we do. That's what we're there. We're one-on-one. I get to ask the same questions everybody else would be asking. Like, yeah, what, what are you thinking of, for goodness sakes? All right. State Supreme Court election, a week from Tuesday. We say this a lot, but believe me, I come this way but once. This is an important election. You just saw this within the last, you know, 15 minutes. We told you about this liberal Dane County Circuit Court judge who issued this ruling saying, no, even though, even though, um, the legislature is not going to be in session, even though you take out, um, papers for the fall election starting in April, I, I think, um, the, the state is going to have to order a special election, spending tens of thousands of dollars to have a special election to fill two vacancies for what at best would be a couple months. I mean, that, that's, and, and the governor's position is, hey, state law says I can't do that. But more importantly, it makes no sense to do it. But this is what Democrats want because they think they're going to win special election seats and they want to build on momentum. And if it means the taxpayers, have to kick out tens of thousands of dollars. Well, who cares? Well, okay, this is the type of ruling you get out of a liberal circuit court like the one in Dane County. That is why it is so important to have a Supreme Court that um, has conservatives on it um, who can rein in the excesses of some of these lower court judges. There is a conservative majority right now on the state Supreme Court. One of those justices, Michael Gableman, is retiring after one 10-year term. Two people are running. The uber-liberal Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Rebecca Dallet and Sauk County Judge Mike Skrenick. Uh Judge Skrenick is going to be with me at Insight 2018 um, next Wednesday night. So if you're there, you get a chance to see him in, in person. But there's no question. That there is. This is one of the most bizarre elections that I have seen because what happened is – Rebecca Dallet decided there, there was a there was a three way primary. There were two liberals running, and Dallet I think became panicked that she might not come out of the primary. So she started really showing her true colors. She started going really really far to the left, talking of denouncing mass incarceration. What that means is she doesn't like to put people in prison if they commit crimes that that's that's the the buzzword of that you know talking about how you know that that she she doesn't um she she's doesn't believe in various types of um you know freedoms to own firearms and things like that um saying that oh judge Granick, you know he's he's endorsed by the NRA so that means he's he's not going to he doesn't care if people are going to if kids are getting killed by guns and things like that um, it's just one thing after another, and it's a real clear it's a real clear choice. My point about Rebecca Dallet has been she shouldn't be running for state supreme court; she should be running for governor because that's where policies are made. It is dangerous, and yes, I use the word dangerous with a capital D for people running to the court who want to say essentially, I don't care what the law is; I am running on a political agenda. And if I get elected, I am going to use my position to interpret the law in such a way to advance my agenda. The law is the law. And that's the difference, and that's the key of the separation of powers and the different branches. So anyhow, Rebecca Dallet is in San Francisco at a fundraiser with a bunch of Democrats. He's in San Francisco. And this week, apparently, 
she either doesn't know or doesn't care that somebody is recording this. And, you know, here's here's what she says. She's talking about the need to defeat Republicans in 2018. Now, that now this is a woman running for the state Supreme Court talking about the need to defeat Republicans. And here's what she says in particular. She says, San Francisco, like this is awesome. The, the people I know that your values are our Wisconsin values that we've lost along the way, that we've lost along the way. So in other words, you know, we used to be this great progressive state, bells, beads, light shows, peace, love, dope. And, and we've just somewhere lost that. So you elect me to the state Supreme Court, and I am going to, and this is what I think the message she's sending, I'm going to use my job on the court to try to rein in these laws that, as an uber-liberal, I don't like. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. San Francisco values. Now, when I hear San Francisco values, I think of open borders. I think of... Um, sanctuary cities. I think of incredibly restrictive laws on the ability to carry firearms. Um, and that's just a, a start of it. Um, I think of open, I, I think of panhandlers. When I think of San Francisco, I think of panhandlers, um, 10, 15, 20 on every block. Um, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we really want somebody on the state Supreme Court who apparently is applauding San Francisco values and everything that that entails? I personally want a conservative on the Supreme Court who is going to interpret the law. And if you don't like mass incarceration, which again is is the buzzword for putting criminals in jail, okay, that's fine. But you shouldn't be on the state Supreme Court using that position to advocate. If you want open borders, fine. Run for governor. Make that case. Um, but th- this idea that if you like sanctuary cities, um, like San Francisco prides itself in, if that's a San Francisco value, as far as I'm concerned, keep it in San Francisco and don't put that value on the Supreme Court bench here in Wisconsin, 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You don't understand how the state Supreme Court race has really gone through the looking glass. You have the uber-liberal candidate who is out in San Francisco trying to raise money to buy TV ads and radio ads and whatever, talking about how, well, you know, Wisconsin... We, we've just, we're really just like San Francisco. We've just kind of lost our way. Sanctuary cities, crime, mass incarceration. Again, that's the code for putting criminals in prison. Do you really want somebody like that on the state Supreme Court? I mean, seriously? And then the, the inter, the just overt injection of politics. I mean, again, now she's, 
I suspect she probably doesn't know she's being recorded when she's talking about this. But, you know, she's out there saying, all right, here, here's what we want to do. I, we, we've got a, we've got in this year, we've got an opportunity to beat Governor Scott Walker. We've got an opportunity to beat Scott Walker, to beat Paul Ryan. Um, our governor is potentially someone she could, we could unseat. Yay. And the crowd goes wild. Really? I, I mean, really? This is somebody who says that they want to interpret the law. This is somebody who is there to try to interpret the law and decide whether the law is being followed. These comments alone, at least in my opinion, demonstrate how completely and totally unqualified Rebecca Dallet is to be the state Supreme Court justice. Now, I understand where this is coming from. You would never have a candidate running on a platform like this in the past. But 2018 is different. I'm sure she's got left-wing political advisors who are telling her, look, this is the year. People are frustrated with Donald Trump. There's an enthusiasm gap. You know, let's go, let's turn out the left, and they'll be able to sweep you into office. I mean, because typically speaking, in Wisconsin, we, we like the Supreme Court to be conservative. We want law and order justices. We want justices who are going to apply the law instead of trying to invent the law as they see fit. So in many respects, it's just unheard of, unheard of that, you know, this is the type of thing that I, I think you're running a campaign on. Now, I would have voted against Act 10. I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, okay, that that's out there. And you got to know. Now, the one thing I'll say for the Dallas campaign is she's making it clear where she stands. She's not running as a typical justice, an impartial arbiter of facts. She is running as someone who has a political agenda and make no bones about it. She will be advancing the agenda. And she's telling people that. So I guess here here is the question. And again, I know the left thinks this is going to be a way of election. Will conservatives, will Republicans sit home? Will you allow somebody who is touting, gee, San Francisco values and has an opposition to a lot of stuff that went on over the last years, are you going to allow that person to get elected? And I guess time will tell. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Melissa Barclay is getting ready to do the news. You like that? That, that, that you like that bumper music? I there? did. I loved it. I was like, Glass Tiger. I haven't heard that song forever. Well, there you go. That's good. That's what we do on the Wagner show here. <laughs> we we just kind of we, we sort of dip back into. You play the soft rock hits. Well, yeah, I'm kind of a soft rock guy yeah. and stuff, but I'm a hard rock guy too. We've been, <laughs> actually, I have suggested some bumper music and been kind of told, eh, maybe that's not the image we want. But it's out. If it's on you have my some iPod, good taste, good taste in bumper music. I, I, I have, um, I, I actually, I, ha- I have over nine thousand songs on my um, iPod. Yes, I still have an iPod, mm-hmm. and and it ranges from. I, I I've got everything from. Um, well, the the Ramones. I've got a bunch of punch, punk punk rock stuff uh-huh. to country to uh, you just name it. That's I, good. That's, well, I think a lot of people these days they don't have they don't like just one genre. They like an eclectic mix of of whatever music from over the years. See, that's me, an eclectic mix. Yeah. That, you you just <laughs> captured that there. Hey, before we go to news, I do want to mention something. Uh, one of the other breaking news stories today is the fact that John Dowd, who was President Trump's lead lawyer in the special counsel inquiry, he's uh, he has stepped down. 
Dowd is an interesting guy. He, in many respects, might be best known. He was the guy that worked for Major League Baseball in the 80s and 90s and did a lot of their investigations. He's the guy that did the report that got Pete Rose banned from baseball for gambling. That was John Dowd, former federal prosecutor um, who's been in private practice for about 30 years or so. So he, he's been he's been President Trump's lead counsel. He announced that he was stepping down, and then there's all this speculation about what's going on. Let, let me make this real simple. First of all, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who at least had a cup of coffee in private practice just for a couple of years. Um, President Trump, and I don't say this in a bad way, he would be the client from hell. He, he just would. You know, every once in a while you run into, you know, you, you run into clients who have, who are very, very demanding and have their, their own opinion on how stuff would be done. I, I had that when I was practicing law. Again, I, I did only did it for a couple of years, but you'd sit down and somebody would say something and they say, this is what I want to do. And, you know, and I'd say, well, I don't think you better do that because this is what the law is. And then they'd say, okay, well, how about, and they'd really restate the same thing the same way. You know, but I'd say, no, you're just still saying the same thing. I, I keep telling you this isn't a very good result. And then they'd go off and they'd do it anyways. And you, and and it, it's what you call kind of like the runaway client. Well, President Trump is sort of that sort of runaway client. It just, you have them. Um, and so I, I think what was happening is, you know, uh, John Dowd was giving the president certain advice as to how to handle the Mueller thing, and the president decided he, he really didn't want to start following that, and that's that's fine. Clients get to make their own choices. Then over the last week or two, the president has been adding to his legal team, brought in another former U.S. attorney and a couple other people. So I, I think John Dowd took a look at this and said, hey, and I, I love the president, um, but, you know, it, it's probably time that, you know, he's that, that for me to step down which is something that happens. Lots of lawyers make that choice eventually to kind of decide, well, client wants to go in a different direction. And I, I don't know that you can read too much into it other than the fact that John Dowd, who is a very class guy, just a, a class guy, an experienced guy, I think he probably got to the point where he said, okay, maybe it's time to, to move on and life is short and we'll see what direction the president's defense goes from here. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, she's the pride of Dowson, Wisconsin, and now she's headed home with a gold medal around her neck. Team USA women's hockey player Brianna Decker joins Gene Miller tomorrow at 6.51 on Wisconsin's Morning News. You know, talking about elections, um, this is, this is really uh, amazing. I remember, I remember when Scott Walker was first elected, and I understand there's some people, oh, we hate that, that Governor Walker, but Wisconsin's economy was in the toilet. The unemployment rate was over 9.9%. That was over 9%. Uh, new numbers out today. Um, unemployment rate in February. And again, these are the preliminary numbers, so they are subject to some adjustment. But the numbers that came out today, the Wisconsin unemployment rate is currently 2.9%. It was 9.2% when Scott Walker took over a number of years ago. Let me put this in perspective. The 2.9% unemployment rate, that is the lowest monthly level in state history. The unemployment rate is at the all-time low. And that is, again, seven years ago, it was over 9, it was was 9.2. Now it is 2.9. 2.9% percent unemployment is very, very close to what they call structural unemployment. Structural unemployment, essentially, there's always going to be some people who are employed, unemployed, because they're going to be between jobs. 
mean, maybe it's one of those deals where you've, um, you know, you're, you're taking, you're taking the summer off. You know, you're, you, you've got, you, you've just left a job and you said, I'm, I'm going to take three months off to just kind of figure out what I want to do, or it's going to be a few months before I start the job. That's structural unemployment. People who, um, are unemployed, but they're really just kind of like between work. Um, 2.9% is incredible. Wisconsin, um, again, it's literally working more, more working people are employed today than ever before in history. And, um, that's, that's a number that is, is really actually below full employment. Like I say, that ties into this whole structural employment thing. Wisconsin continued to set a record high for the number of people employed in the state. 3.07 million total labor civilian labor force of 3.16 million that still means that essentially what you're looking at is that you know anybody really who wants a job in the state of Wisconsin can get one now it might not be the perfect job but anybody who wants a job can get one and that's only going to increase as a matter of fact I think what you're going to see is with Foxconn and other things going on, the, the big challenge is not going to be can we find jobs for people, but it's can we find people for jobs. And that's going to be the challenge. I think what you're going to see is more and more people from other states where you have the high unemployment levels coming in and saying, okay, you know, we want to relocate to Wisconsin because we want to take advantage of this economy. Now, let us be honest. There are a lot of reasons why the Wisconsin economy is is booming. But I think if you did not recognize that the governor's policies over the last several years, the pro-business, low-tax, let's limit the um, onerous regulations which made it difficult for people to do business. If you don't think that that has had a huge impact on the, the state of the state with regard to employment, well, you're you're just... I'm sorry, you're, you're naive or you're deep in the terms of, of Walker derangement syndrome. You know, going into this reelection campaign, you know, people, it's an economic issue. People, you know, look at their pocketbooks and the truth of the matter is that Wisconsin is working and more people are working in Wisconsin than ever. The unemployment rate staggeringly low. I mean, staggeringly low, below 3%. Contrast that to where we were seven years ago, and I understand there's the Walker haters out there, but, you know, love him or hate him, there's no question that his policies have been working, period. All right, when we come back, his mother would be so proud of him. Stick around. It's 140. This is Jeff Wagner. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One week until opening day for the Brewers. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering are on the call as the Brewers hit the home stretch of the exhibition season today versus Kansas City. You can hear it right here on WTMJ. Our coverage starts at 2.55. Yeah, a week from today, the Brewers open in San Diego. Actually, it's going to be a big day on the radio because our Insight 2018 tickets available, WTMJ.com. That's the previous night. That is a week. Well, it's next Wednesday week from yesterday and then what we're going to do this year typically we replay all of insight during the show the following day well this year what we're going to do is because our brewers coverage starts at two o'clock we're going to replay some of insight on thursday and then what we're going to do on friday is we're going to replay a bunch of the other stuff um actually the way this works out it's actually great because i have a little bit more flexibility with time and things um for insight so it makes my job easier i think it'll make insight a little bit more fun because we're not quite as constrained with time so that's we're going to how we're going to handle it but wednesday night is insight 2018 
and then Thursday, a two-hour show where we'll have some of the highlights of um, Insight, and then we start our coverage of the Brewers opening day in San Diego, and then Friday, some more of Insight, um, as well as um, our regular live program, all leading up to a week from Monday, the home opener, and I've already seen our plans. It's going to be just a lot of fun. It always is. Um, I'm looking forward to participating in that. All right. But it was a week and a half ago or so you had the, the school walkout. Remember, all across the country, you had the kids that walked out of school to make their statements on, uh, again, gun violence in, in the schools. And typically, these were sanctioned by the schools. Well, let me tell you a story. There's a kid that goes to a high school in Reno. And his name is Noah Christensen. So he takes part in this walkout. So he's on school property, and this is during the school day. He participates in this mass protest. So he walks out of class with a bunch of his other classmates. Okay, fine. While he is walking out, while he's outside as part of the protest, he takes his cell phone and he calls um, a Republican congressman's office. This is a Reno um, congressman's office. The office it's uh, Mark um, Armodi. And so he, he calls. So he's on school grounds. He's on school time. He's part of this uh, protest. And, and he gets one of the congressman's staffers, right? And they have an exchange. He says he wants to talk to the congressman. They call him. They tell him the congressman's, um, you know, not available. He says, "Okay, well, tell him that I want him to vote to make bump stocks stocks illegal, and I want to raise the minimum age to buy a gun from eighteen to twenty-one years old." Okay, so then he starts to get heated in his conversation, and um, he uses some very, very bad language in talking to the staffer. Tell the congressman to get off his blanking, except he doesn't say blanking. Tell the congressman to get off his blanking blank and get this stuff done. Okay, so he's like yelling at the the staffer and using obscenities. And he identifies himself. I'm participating in this walkout. This is who I am. You know, we're walking out here. Tell the congressman to get off his blanking blank and do this. Okay, so he's like cursing at the staffer. All right, the conversation ends. The staffer calls up the, the principal of the school and says, you know, we just got this call from, you know, one of your students who's apparently taking part in this protest, and he's just called us up, and he, he's just cursed at us. He's, he started, like, screaming at me, and he was cursing. All right? And so the school principal, you know, whistles this guy in and says, did you do this? And he says, yeah, I, I, I did. I told him to tell the congressman to get off his blanking blank and, and whatever. At which point in time, the, the school um, suspends the kid for two days for using, they've got a rule that says, you know, you're not supposed to use disrespectful, in, disrespectful behavior or, you know, disrespectful language, you know, on school premises. So he's called the, he's called and he's kind of like cursed out this aide. So they suspend the kid for two days, right? Well, he tells his story. Oh, how unjust this is. The ACLU is now involved. The ACLU is demanding that the suspension be, you know, overturned. They're demanding that uh, the congressman um, tell his office to withdraw the complaint that they lodged against him and apologize to the kid. At which point in time, the congressman says, well, well, first of all, we didn't demand that the kid be suspended, but we did call up the principal and we said what he had done. 
You know, and so, you know, we didn't tell them one way or the other. And the congressman's office says, furthermore, you know, we're not going to apologize for anything. I mean, this kid called us up and started cursing at us, you know, from school property. Let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You perhaps will disagree with me on this one. But you know what? I personally don't think the congressman has anything to apologize for. And on top of that, I hope the school district does not back down when it comes to the suspension. All right, the, the bottom line is, yes, you have a right to free speech. But at the same time, there are consequences for that. And if while you're on school grounds, you decide that you want to use disrespectful language and behavior and you want to direct it to someone, you've got to understand there's going to perhaps be consequences for that. So I think the ACLU is all wet. Did the kid have the right to make the phone call? Yes, he did. No question about that. But by making the phone call from school grounds, using the inappropriate language, yeah, I think he deserved to be suspended. I mean, if the kid had gone in and directed that type of language to, let's say there's a there's a guest speaker. Let, let's say instead of making the phone call, You've got the congressman there in person, and the kid stands up and says, I think you need to get off your blanking blank and do this. I, I think the school would be within its rights for saying, hey, you violated our school rules. 414-799-1620. I, got no simp- I have no sympathy at all for the particular kid. He did what he wanted to do. That's fine. But that's the consequence for exercising his free speech rights. And I don't think the suspension should be overturned. And I sure as heck don't think anybody should be apologizing to this foul-mouthed little snowflake. Let's start with Mark on the south side. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Mark. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think this is what half the problems in the world are today. You know, as soon as someone can't follow a rule, we're supposed to apologize to them. Well, well, right. Exactly. I mean, he he decided to and, and the kid doesn't say it and say, see, yeah, you got some 17 year old kid that's calling up a congressman's office and cursing at one of the staffers on school property, you know, during the school day. And the, the congressman, they, they respond. The office says, hey, to the principal, you know what this kid just did? And then they decide the school decides to suspend him. Boom. Which is exactly closed. what they should have done. Yeah. I, you know, and then they want the congressman to apologize to him. Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, that, I mean, that pretty much sums up the problems in this country. You know, uh, I mean, that's, that's yes, that's what's going on every day on yeah. every level. Unfortunately, it does. No, th- thanks to call. I mean, that that that's exactly to me. That's exactly the the point. He gets to lip off. He gets to be disrespectful. But at the same time, those are the consequences. And from the congressman's point of view, and I, I give the congressman credit too. He said, "I'm not back I'm apologizing." This kid calls up. He starts cursing out my, uh, starts cursing out the uh, my office worker, one of my aides. You know, we just called the principal and told him what the kid had done. You know, we didn't say we want him thrown out. We didn't want to say him was suspended. We just want. We said this is what he did. You know, during the school day, during this walkout. And the principal decides to suspend him. Fine. Case closed. The kid admits he did it. He said, yeah, I, I did. I was pretty heated. I told him to get off his blanking blank. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dave downtown. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. You know, I just had time to reflect on this story a little bit. Insert yourself into this story and have your parents <laughs> being called on it or your principal. <laughs> yeah. That's what's the matter with our society today. 
I'm not Mr. Get Off My Front Lawn. I'm an old cocky guy. Right. But there's a sense of respect and decorum. He's a congressman, okay? Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, I'm not saying you, you, you yell at the, the, the yard worker on your property, but, I mean, he's a congressman. He's earned a level of respect. He represents our country. And, and if I would have done that, I, seriously, my parents would have found out. Oh, end of story. I, you know, it, it's Dave, it is funny you would say that because when I was thinking about how to present this topic, I, I did, I always try to personalize these things and I, I flashed to 1970 whatever. If I was a high school senior and there's some sort of protest and I, I go to, we didn't have cell phones then, but I go to a payphone during the middle of a walkout and call up the congressman representing that area and start using the F word, which is what this kid did. I, I, I would not have wanted to what whatever the school did to me would have paled in comparison to what Ann and Jack Wagner would have done to me when I got home. Yeah. It reminded me when we were talking about the T shirt that you wore a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, your parents and the adults are running the show and you know what? We got too many kids running the show and I think that's really the problem with our country. Right, exactly. Thanks for calling. And again, I mean it it's just it's all about the, this consequence. Uh, again, you know, may, maybe you think, well, it's not that big a deal, and so it was disrespectful and fine. Oh, okay. Or maybe you think he had a free speech right, or, or gosh, I'm, I'm glad this kid stood up and said that and did that and got in the confrontation. Okay, fine, he did it. But there are the consequences for that behavior. Don't, if you're going to do something like that, don't whine about it when stuff blows up in your face. I mean, nobody made him make that phone call. And I guess the problem isn't that he got in and he made the phone call in the first place. That the problem is he tried to use language, which I think towards, you know, authority figures that I think, you know, everybody would agree was disrespectful in the extreme. And, and this isn't even something he did on the weekends or on his own time. He did this, and this is why the school gets involved. He did it in the middle of one of these walkouts when the kid is supposed to be in class, but he's on school grounds taking part in the protest. Well, all right. I mean, my response is you got a two-day suspension. You know, suck it up, Buttercup. You did it. Let's talk to um, John in Winnicott. John, you're on WTMJ. John. Hello? Hi, John. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you 100% here. Uh, additionally, I, I would assume they may have some rule in a school about using your phone during, during school periods and school time. But my real point is the ACLU is in on this, and... I'm sure at some point in time they have done some good work. I just can't remember the last time they were involved in some sort of a uh, effort that really was of any value that I'm aware of. So I think the school board should stick with what they've done, and the congressman in no way should ever apologize to this little fella. Right, exactly. It's just what happens. Well, I mean, if you want to understand part of the problem, the apple apparently doesn't fall far from the tree because um, the kid's mother – you know, she's out. She's saying, well, she she's unhappy with this, too. There was a school shooting in Maryland today, and people are worried about my son using a cuss word. Well, OK, people are worried about the school shooting in Maryland. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, I mean, the kid, there's a rule that the school has against using disrespectful language or disrespectful behavior during school hours. The kid, I think everybody would agree he did it. And so. That's what the penalty is. Stop whining about it and deal with it. All right, when we come back, he was born as a he, he's now a she, and she wants to play on the ladies' Olympic volleyball team. We're going to discuss. Stick around. It's 156. 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, that is not good news for the Brewers. Um, 
they're trying to fill out their pitching rotation, and one of the guys they were considering, this guy named Wade Miley, I have not been a fan of Wade Miley, and um, I, I think a lot of people thought that if, 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 if Wade, if you're, if you're banking your World Series hopes on Wade Miley, you're, you're in trouble. But anyhow, they, they were trying him out. Wade Miley, his best year, he's been in the major leagues for seven years, and that, that looks, that's great, that's seven more years than I was in the major leagues. But his best year was 2012 when he was pitching for Arizona. He was 16 and 11. Um, since then, 10 and 10, 8 and 12, 11 and 11. Went to the, uh, American League 2016. He was 9 and 13. He was nine and thirteen, um, and then last year that was pitching for Seattle and Baltimore. Last year he was eight and fifteen, so his career record is sixty six and seventy four. Brewers bought it, brought him in on a on, let's see what he's got, and I think it was a contract. It was one of these deals where uh, you have to, if you make the opening day roster, that's fine. We pay you a bunch of money. Otherwise, you know, we got to release you. And he had been having an okay spring training, but yesterday fielding a bunt. He injured himself, and they weren't sure what it was. Um, it's now being reported it is not a groin pull, which sounds painful enough. That kind of goes right through you, doesn't it, Gru? Yeah. It's a groin tear. Um, and a groin tear, I mean, I'm I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on the radio, but that's a few months, typically. Um, you know, if you've torn your groin muscle, ooh, not just pulled it, but torn it, so now the question becomes, you know, the Brewers have to guarantee money if the guy stays on the roster. And, again, maybe doctors are going to have a different conclusion. But I I would imagine if you've got a true groin tear, you're, you're probably out for a few months. Um, so can you pay all that money to somebody who was iffy in the first place um, with the idea that they're probably not even going to be able to help you for a few months? So Brewers are going to have to decide that was not a good break. I'm not sure Wade Miley would have been the answer anyhow. But. Um, it's another one of these things that is out there. Uh, this is this is an interesting point. It's kind of hypocrisy alert. Paul Ryan is, of course, the congressman from the Janesville area. He's successfully run for and been elected nine times. L- let me just cut through a lot of this stuff. Paul Ryan is going to win re-election handily in November. But because he is the Speaker of the House, he's being targeted by the Democrats because they, they want to make they want to like stir up dust saying, look, we, we can we can even defeat Paul Ryan. Well, they're not going to beat Paul Ryan, not going to come close to beating Paul Ryan. But this is really interesting. There's two Democrats running against him. There is this sort of ethically life challenged candidate named Randy Bryce, who's the, the guy with the mustache veteran, you know, a father, a union iron worker. He's running in the Democratic primary, and there's another Democrat, a public school teacher and Janesville school board member named Kathy Myers. So these are two Democrats running for the right to get beat by Paul Ryan. But again, this Randy Bryce is kind of the flavor of the moment. And so here, we're going to put this guy up to run against Paul Ryan. Well, here's the deal. There is this this group called the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and what they announced today is that this Randy Bryce is one of 33 candidates who has essentially been endorsed by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in the primaries. So what they're going to be doing is he's going to be getting all sorts of fundraising help and things like that. The, his and, and this is even though he hasn't come out of the primary. He's got, again, this Democrat challenger, a woman, Kathy Myers, and she's saying, um, wait, wait a second. This is 
let me just kind of interpret it. This is what happened in 2016 when you had the Democratic National Committee, the, the power brokers who decided, you know, we're forget Bernie Sanders. We're going to endorse Hillary Clinton and we're going to rig the rules and we're going to put all this money behind Hillary Clinton because she's going to be our chosen candidate. And, and look where that got him. Here, in what is supposed to be the year of the woman, and this is the screaming hypocrisy alert, you've got the Democrat uh, Congressional Campaign Committee that has decided they're going to play in a Wisconsin primary election and forget the fact that you've got a female who's running, we're going to endorse the male. Hmm. Well, I, I just, again, I, I think it's interesting. They can endorse anybody they want if they think this is a winning strategy. Didn't work out very well in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. And, again, Randy Bryce isn't going to beat Paul Ryan. Kathy Myers isn't going to meet beat Paul Ryan. But it is interesting that, again, in supposedly this year of the woman and we need to get more female candidates running, that here you've got a female candidate running and you've got a uh, a guy running and you not only decide that you're going to get involved in the race when these two democrats are running against each other but you're going to get involved in the side on the side of the guy huh could that be hypocrisy just asking all right here's the story uh there there's always this issue when it comes to transgender athletes how do you treat them let, let me tell you the story there's th- this comes out of out of brazil but it's going to play out in the olympics there is a person um born as a male named rodrigo abru all right Rod- rodrigo abru six foot three inches tall a star volleyball player Matter of fact, he began playing volleyball at the age of 17. This is Res Rodrigo. Um, made it to the men's professional leagues in Europe. So a star male athlete. Um, in 2012, Rodrigo decided that he was really a, a she trapped in a male's body. And in 2012, began the transition to a, a woman, um, became Tiffany Abreu. So Tiffany underwent sex reassignment surgery, changed her name on all official documents, and began a hormone replacement um, therapy. But it didn't change the fact that um, Tiffany still had a male body, six foot three inches tall, and the male framework. Um, apparently, they she did take these drugs, which reduced the testosterone level in her blood, and it's reduced the testosterone level in her blood to what would be a, a typical woman's testosterone level. But nevertheless, um, you're talking about somebody who is is six foot three inches tall and has the the body structure of a male. But they have gone through this transformation. Well, Tiffany is now playing on Brazil's Olympic team and not surprisingly is one of, if not the star of the female Olympics team. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, nobody, I think, would argue that Tiffany has the right to go through this, this sex transition. She's done all that. 
and for all intents and purposes, the world views her as, as a female. But when it comes to athletics, does she have an unfair advantage having been born as, as a male and essentially having, while again, her testosterone level has been reduced and she has gone through the gender reassignment surgery, nevertheless, this is still, she's got the male body that she was born with. And a number of the athletes are saying, look, this is just fundamentally unfair because she was, as a he, a world-class volleyball player. That This isn't somebody who was kind of a spud. This was a world-class volleyball player as a male. And this is, again, gender reassignment therapy notwithstanding. This is essentially a world-class male volleyball player who is now playing against women. 414-799-1620, should she be allowed to play on the female team? Or is that an unfair advantage for her against all the other women? And this would be people who were naturally born female. 414-799-1620, I'll tell you where I come down on this, but let's discuss. It's 218, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A number of female uh, Olympians and volleyball players are, are opposed to this. They say, look, it's not a matter of prejudice, it's physiology. Most players don't think it's fair for transsexuals to play against women, and it's not. In this case, the argument is that this woman's body was built with testosterone all life long. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee, again, in uh, the International Olympic Committee, in its effort to be politically correct, says, look, we, we want to have transgender athletes. We want them to be able to participate and compete in the Olympics so they can do it without even undergoing sex reassignment surgery. I think this is one of these indications where this is grossly unfair, simply because boys and girls are built differently. The structure of men's bodies is different than the structure of women's bodies. I don't think that's a particularly insightful thing to say. And if you imagine a situation where you have a world-class male athlete, again, I'm talking about world-class male athletes participating in the same sport against world-class female athletes, the man is going to... The NBA is different than the WNBA, and that's not taking nothing away from the female basketball players who are are playing, but uh, again, it's different body types, it's different abilities, and here you have a situation where you have a world-class athlete born as a male playing at a world-class level as a male who's now decided the gender transition, fine, God bless him, God bless her, That that's fine. But now you've got that same person who is now playing, instead of playing against men, playing against women. And I guess I think it is a fundamentally unfair situation. I think she has an advantage that other players don't have. And it's not being discriminatory. It's not saying that there's something wrong with what you did. Fine. And that, that's great. That was the choice that you made. But I think when you make some of those choices, again, there needs to be outcomes from this. And I think one of those outcomes is you shouldn't be able to play on the Olympic teams, shouldn't be able to play on Olympic teams, you know, under your new gender. I don't think it's fair to the women, in this case, that you know, the women who were born as women and who have a different body structure because they were born female.
Just saying. It's 224. This is Jeff Weck. 226, Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, have you ever been thrown out of a bar? Have you ever been thrown out of a bar? No, you've never been thrown out of a bar. Well, I haven't. Here's the story. I was never technically thrown out, but I was with some people who were thrown out, and I quickly followed them out. Here's the story behind this, and it's actually leading into a topic. I call the topic, who is that topless woman and what is she doing on the street? But here, here's my story behind that. Okay, before, um, after I got out of college, came back here before law school, I was working at this insurance company. And a bunch of the guys I worked with, we went to a Brewers game in the spring. And I was kind of the designated driver, kind of, which is good because the, these guys were pounding back the beers. And at the end of the game, they decided they wanted, now this was young, I was single, all this stuff. They decided they wanted to go to this, I would say gentleman's club, but it was actually a strip joint. Arts Performing Center. It is still there, downtown Milwaukee. At the time, maybe it's a wonderful place now. Back then, it was a dump. So we we go to this place, and I'm with this group of guys, and one of the guys who has been overserved decides that he thinks it would be a good idea to get up on the stage with one of these dancers, which is a a no-no in these type of things. So as soon as the guy starts to get up on the stage, Boom, all these bouncers come, they grab him. My friend's name was Bubba. Bubba listens to this show, I know. So Bubba, I still remember this show. These three guys, these enormous guys, Bubba was a big guy. They grab him, and I mean, they bum-rush him out that door. Boom, there he goes. So he's out there. Um, And then the rest of us figuring, okay, this is nothing good can come of this. I mean, you know, I'm actually the sober one. I kind of heard these people out. So there we are outside of Arts Performing Center. My friend has just been thrown out, and we're sitting on the the sidewalk. And I remember thinking, my God, I can't believe we just got thrown out of this place. But we're sitting on the sidewalk just trying to figure out life. So, I mean, I've been tossed out of Arts, well, indirectly tossed out of Arts Performing Center. And I remembered back in, this is 1978 or whatever, I'm thinking, maybe 79, whatever, I'm thinking, man, this is not, I'm, I'm going to remember this, and I do remember this, you know, like going on 40 years later, getting tossed out of this strip joint. And and again, to my friend Bubba, who's a listener, I still remember that story as well. Now, I bring this up because when you do something that gets you thrown out of a bar, typically speaking, the bouncers are not very genteel about it, right? Because if you've gotten to the point where you're getting your butt thrown out of the bar, there is there is an issue. Now, St. Patrick's Day. I was, my wife and I went, um, her, her daughter and son-in-law, my stepdaughter and stepson-in-law, I guess, participated in this run in Wauwatosa. So we, we actually, um, together with some other friends, we went and kind of watched them run. I'm going to do the run next year, um, at least do the walk or whatever. So we're sitting in this Irish bar in the morning of St. Patrick's Day, and, you know, you, you got to have a Jameson's, my late, you know, all-Irish mother, got to have a, a glass of Jameson's and a beer and stuff. But, okay, we're, we're there at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, I, there were some people that I know had been there since six in the morning, and I have a feeling we're probably going to be there at six at night. And it was just, you know, it was not going to be a pleasant scene. So I have no doubt that at this particular bar, over the time, there would be a number of people being tossed out. I did not see any people tossed out of this particular Irish bar on, on St. Patrick's Day. But that is not what happened around the city. And right after the news, I'm going to tell you a story about a young woman who managed to get herself tossed out of a bar, which in and of itself 
would not be particularly memorable, but what she did and the condition she found herself in when she ended up on the street is generating a lot of controversy. So the question becomes, who is that topless woman, and how did she find herself on the street? All right, 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Insight 2018, less than a week away. Tickets are going fast. It's a rare chance to get a behind-the-scenes look at how we put the show together um, and be in the room to hear Governor Scott Walker, Attorney General Brad Schimmel, their U.S. Senate candidates for the Republican nomination, and a cast of a Glenn Grothman's going to be there, Mike Skranek, who's the Sauk County Circuit Judge, um, who'll be on the ballot for State Supreme Court in a week and a half. Reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com. People ask, is your new wife going to be there? Wife going to be there? Absolutely. She will be there. You know, Come out to see the governor, but she'll she'll probably get the second biggest applause line. Everybody knows Fran. All right. So I was I was sharing stories from my misbegotten past. Yes, I, I have I've never I was never physically thrown out of the bar, but the guy I was with was thrown out of this, you know, divey strip joint and I did kind of follow him out. So I was kind of sitting on the I was sitting on the curb thinking, how did you know <laughs> how is life going? All right, so here is the story. St. Patrick's Day, which is when people start drinking at six o'clock in the morning, or at least some does. Some do. W Channel Twelve has reported this. Here is the deal. Let me just share with you the story. A woman was exposed as she was tossed from a bar by a bouncer on St. Patrick's Day. She was left shirtless on the sidewalk outside Kelly's bleachers at 53rd and Blue Mound Road. Okay, so everybody knows Kelly's Bleachers and big opening day place. Here's the story. A witness says uh, one of the bouncers had grabbed her shirt, then grabbed her again. Her shirt came off. Then he tried to grab her again, and her bra came off, says the witness. Hate that when that happens. The witness then says two bouncers tossed the woman out. Um, they, they used her kind of like as a battering ram. So what they did is these guys like picked her up and then boom, kind of did the bums rush, you know, through the door. Okay. Um, like they literally picked her up and they <laughs> threw her head first out the door like zoom, which is actually how my friend Bubba was thrown out of the strip joint back in 1970, whatever. I mean, they grabbed him, they picked him up, three guys bum rushed him and boom, he goes through the door. Okay, and so apparently what happens, and there's some footage of this, you've got this woman who's sitting there topless on on the street, and apparently I think they throw her shirt and her bra out behind her. All right, this is what the owner of Kelly's Bleacher says. Okay, this is St. Patrick's Day. The woman was drunk. She was swearing at the staff. She refused to leave, and then she started a fight with security. So you have this drunken young woman who's in a fight. In the altercation, unfortunately, her shirt came undone. The security staff did not intend this to happen, but she was drunk, and she made it difficult for the staff to stop her from injuring them. All right, uh, let's see. Um, So apparently what happens is that, you know, she's in this fight. She's drunk. She's abusive. She's not leaving. She's in a fight with the bouncers. They're kind of grabbing her to try to lift her and pick her up, and her shirt and then her brassiere come off. Okay, one of the witnesses to this say, well, I understand if she was being unruly and she was being kicked out, but the manner, once her shirt came off, any man should have been covering her, protecting her, and make her make sure they take her out a different way. Police did respond, but uh, none of their staff were ticketed or arrested. Okay, 
414, that was dub, that was Channel 12's report. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the bouncers at the bar do anything wrong? And I don't think the facts are too much at issue. You've got this drunken, out-of-control woman on St. Patrick's Day who's abusive, swearing, and picking a fight. They try to escort her out. She refuses to go. It then gets physical. And in the struggle, as they're kind of pulling her, her shirt comes off and her brassiere come off. They toss her out on the street. And I think they, like, throw the shirt and the bra behind her. So she's sitting there, you know, on the sidewalk, um, topless. At least, you know, and I, the video I see is she's, like, trying to cover herself up. All right. Is this a basis for criticizing the bouncers? Or is this male or female just the kind of thing that you, you run the risk of when you decide and get yourself liquored up, get abusive, and get into a fight on a bar on St. Patrick's Day, in a bar on St. Patrick's Day? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk or Text Line. I'm, I'm looking at this right now, and I, I will tell you, I, I look, I... I understand, as I was saying before, you know, boys and girls are different. But I, I can't imagine being a bouncer, you know, in a bar on St. Patrick's Day and dealing with the people who've been drinking excessively in a situation like this, absent any indication that they tried to pull their clothes off. And it doesn't sound like that's the story. It sounds like this is just something that's happened. You know, you get into a fight with some bouncers or whatever, a guy or gal. I mean, there's a chance that as they're trying to grab you to get you out, chances are there is at least a chance that your clothing might be ripped or something like that. Absent some indication that they tried to pull their clothes off, and I don't think that's the case. I just think they were trying to get a hold of her. Bottom line, I guess, as I look at this is if you don't want to have something like this happen, well, don't get yourself in a fight with bouncers on St. Patrick's Day. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And no, I don't think the police, based at least on what I'm able to figure out, I don't think they, the bouncers should have been ticketed by the police. I don't think they should have been cited. The person that's in the wrong here is the drunken woman who was causing the problems. Let's start with JP in West Bend. JP, hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Have you ever been thrown out of a bar? No, but I <laughs> have worked in bars okay. for um, quite a long time. You have thrown people out of bars, in other words. That is correct. <laughs> Got it. Um, okay, so did who's the fault here? Um, I really don't see fault on any side because I haven't worked in bars for as long as I have. Um, the number one thing is safety. The bouncers didn't get hurt, and she didn't get hurt. So I don't see, um, I can't really fault on either side. Her, the fact that her top came off and her brassiere came off, incidental inc- things like that are going to happen. And you know, the only thing that really was injured here was her pride. Well, yeah, and actually, it's interesting because she's not. Well, I mean, she's obviously embarrassed. Like the, the the Channel Twelve tried to find. I think they apparently know who she is. They tried to interview her, and she wanted no part of this. this so the story is based on like witnesses who were apparently appalled by this. But I, I can say I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I can see this. You're in a struggle. Um, I guess I don't see this as any differently than, you know, you've got some guy whose, you know, shirt ends up getting torn or pulled off, you know, when he's fighting with the voucher, with the bouncers. Exactly. The problem is, yeah, I mean, th- thanks for calling. Again, I'm just, is it an unfortunate thing? And 
I guess I don't know exactly what they're supposed to do under a circumstance like this. You're drunk. You're abusive. You're in a fight. Um, you're refusing to go, and they're trying to grab you to get you out of the place. You know, what What are they supposed to do? Oh, okay, she's now in a struggle, and boom, her shirt has come off, and she's still continuing to fight us. Here, let's ignore this thing. No, you, you can't. you can't do that. I mean, okay, don't get yourself so drunk on St. Patrick's Day that you have to get tossed out. Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. Is the, is the bar wrong here? Oh, no, no, that bar is totally, when, she, when, she's, when she's got her mouth going like that, and, you know, they, you know, they tell her, to, you know, their behavior, you're going to get tossed out, and she still gets tossed out. I mean, hey, she had it coming. She really did. And then if her clothes came off while they were trying to lift her, that wasn't their fault. You know, it's just like you're trying to lift somebody up, you know, and if, like somebody fell on a sidewalk. I can remember, uh, there was a guy two doors over from us. He fell, and they were trying to lift him up, and his shirt was lifting up and everything else. And I mean, that just happens, you know. It just happens. But yeah, she she should learn to behave, you know. She's gonna go and get drunk. Stuff is gonna happen. I tell you right now. <laughs> well, that, I mean, thanks. I mean, that that's it. And I guess, look, I mean, it's a bad situation all around. And I guess it's, I, I understand this is unusual because you, you don't typically see, you know, women sitting topless on the sidewalk. And, and, and they did throw her shirt out afterwards in her process. So she's like in the process of type, trying to cover up. One of these witnesses say, oh, this is terrible. They just, you know, they, they kind of bum-rushed her through the door. Well, I mean, the reason they were doing that is because she was causing problems inside the, the place and obviously was intoxicated. And that's, um, I mean, nothing good happens on St. Patrick's Day when you're so drunk that you decide to pick a fight with the, the bouncers. Bruce in Brookfield. Bruce, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, back in the day, Jeff, back in the late 70s, early 80s, I used to watch the Dorothy Attic West with a handful of other guys, and we had a hell of a lot of people we tossed out of there. And <laughs> Some people just shouldn't drink. I mean, it's just sad. I mean, you know, there's just fun drunks and there's mean drunks. And Right. And, and, and I guess what are you supposed to I mean, from a security perspective, you ask people to leave. You ask them to leave nicely. They don't. And then you, you got to do something, right? Yes, and, that, and I'm sure if they, somebody would have helped her, tried to help her put her top back on it, that wouldn't have went too well either. Uh, well, that, no, right, right, thanks for the call, because she was unhappy. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. It's 2.45. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 2.52, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Brewers baseball is coming up in just a couple minutes. Maybe we'll talk more about this uh, tomorrow. Journal Sentinel reporting that, that Chris Abley is apparently taking nearly a half a million dollars of daddy's money and putting it into efforts to try to unseat Milwaukee County board candidates. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know I have got no love lost for the Milwaukee County board. And, and some of the candidates that Abley is trying to dump, like Supervisee, Supervisor Peggy West, who is the one that didn't realize that the United States shares a border with Me- that Arizona shares a border with Mexico. Um, you know, it's. I, it's fine. I mean, could could you do better than Peggy West? Yes, you could. But the bottom line of what is happening is that Abley is taking a ton of daddy's money, and he's putting it into these unprecedented efforts to try to knock out board leadership, essentially to get people in there who are going to be rubber stamps for his agenda or to send a message, hey, you don't vote for what I want. You don't give me that wheel tax. Well, I am going to use daddy's money to try to take you out. And again, I have no love lost, particularly for a number of members of the Milwaukee County Board, but these efforts by Abley to use an inordinate amount of money, and again, half a million dollars 
into county board races, just a handful of them, is is mind-boggling, just absolutely mind-boggling. These are part-time jobs that, you know, typically, you know, maybe you spend a grand or something or 10 grand trying to get elected. You know, Abley's putting tens of thousands of dollars trying to defeat his political opponents to put his toadies into office and to send a message to other people, don't, don't mess with me. Well, for the first time in a long time, I think I'm sympathetic to some members of the county board because you don't want to allow Chris Abley to use daddy's money to turn this into a fiefdom. Okay, I'm out of uh, time. Back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Brewers baseball is coming up. Have a great Thursday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.